A beautiful people, Rev Derek here. I am on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok at Rev Derek Terry. I'm also the program director for the Open and Affirming Coalition of the United Church of Christ. And welcome to the intersection and on a podcast. This is episode two. <laughs> Thank you so much for checking us out. We're on YouTube, we're on Apple Podcasts. Spotify, and Google Podcasts. So please, wherever you listen to your podcast, like, subscribe, uh, rate us five stars, and share. Please, please, please. We would really appreciate that. Super excited today that we have an amazing conversation that I had recently with the Reverend Darrell Goodwin. Uh, he's an amazing conference minister in the New England area. And so please uh, check this out. Share it with anyone who you think may be interested but before we get to that podcast, or before we get to that interview, uh, just a couple of things. If you are listening to this before June 22nd, 2023, um, please take the time to go to openandaffirming.org or our Facebook page and Instagram page, um, ucc.coalition, and register for a free webinar that we have beyond binaries about what it means to be a bountifully expansive uh, human expression, uh, gender identity, sexual orientation, uh, we have people who identify as bi or bisexual or trans or non-binary, six amazing individuals for a panel discussion. This is something that a lot of churches reach out to us and say that they are struggling with understanding those identities. So this is a perfect way to start that conversation. If you listen, if you're listening to this podcast after June 22nd, 2023, don't worry, go to our YouTube page and you can uh, check out the broadcast. Also, June 25th, 2023 is Open and Affirming Sunday or Pride Sunday, and we encourage our churches to celebrate God's beloved children who identify as LGBTQIA uh, plus SGL. It is a perfect time to highlight and to showcase uh, and to share support um, for the community, to invite the community in. Uh, in my church, St. Peter's in Cincinnati, we always have a really big pride service, and we're super excited to do that. Also, uh, if you're one of the open and affirming churches, this is a perfect opportunity to invite people to donate to the work that we're doing. We know that in the current social political climate, the church is needed because so many people are using religion to justify the hate and the marginalization of the LGBT community. So to help us to do this work, please you can make a donation at openandaffirming.org. You can put our QR code in your bulletin. Uh, in the past, we've asked people or churches just to give an offering, um, anywhere from $1 per member to $5, $10, $20 per member, whatever is in your budget to do. We would really appreciate that. And it would help us to create content, to bring in speakers and create resources and do, do the work and trainings that helps our churches grow and helps us support uh, one of the most marginalized communities, especially right now in our current political climate. So please make sure that you celebrate Open and Affirming Sunday. We have some resources available on our Facebook and Instagram page. Uh, we have coloring sheets and liturgy. Uh, you can also reach out to us for ideas. My email is ona at openandaffirming.org and I would love to hear from you. And on that note, we are also looking for ideas, uh, ideas for podcast episodes, ideas for individuals to uh, interview. 
Uh, you can let us know people, places, things that you think are interesting, unique stories or perspectives that you think we should address or questions, comments, concerns, any of that. You can email me, ONA at UCC at openandaffirming.org. I would love to hear from you. I got a couple of questions that we're going to answer on air um, in the coming episode. So please, you know, let me know what is up. So now that we got the church announcements out of the way, thank you so much for your patience. Let us jump right into a conversation that I had with the Reverend Darrell Goodwin. Let's go. Welcome to the Intersection ONA podcast. We are super excited to be here with uh, the Reverend Darrell Goodwin. He is a friend of the coalition. He's also our keynote uh, at this year's banquet in Indianapolis during Senate. Hey, Darrell. Hey, Reverend Goodwin. Glad to be with you, friend. Good, good. Good to see you. So uh, just to get this out of the way, I'm a huge fan of Reverend Goodwin. I've been following him online. I'm like, he's like Beyonce. And I want her money. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to see her next month, and I'm super excited, but you like everyone is always like, Oh, do you know Reverend Goodwin? Do you know Darrell? Do you know Reverend Darrell Goodwin? And it's like, I mean, yeah, we're friends, and so <laughs> we've spoken exactly <laughs> like we've been in the same Zoom meetings and emails, and so of course. So I'm fangirling out a little bit, but thank you so much for doing this. Happy to be with you, friend. So for those who don't know Reverend Darrell Goodwin, please introduce yourself. Tell us who you are. Um, what's important to you, where you come from, anything like that, that is a good foundation. Oh, um, that's a big open up the way. It's a big question. If I was going to introduce myself, I would say I am the son of Brenda Lee Goodwin and Danny Fitzgerald Harris. I am the grandson of Mother Roberta Harris from the Pentecostal Temple Church of God in Christ. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. I am the husband of Kentavis Goodwin Bryce, uh, the eldest brother of five sisters and a younger brother. Uh, and, you know, I'm from the South side of Chicago, grew up in very conservative Christian church and somehow found my way to the UCC. And by way of vocation, um, my call is currently um, as the executive conference minister of the Southern New England Conference of the UCC. So those are some touch points, but I'm sure some questions will dig into many layers. <laughs> Absolutely. So, of course. So eventually I want to get to that Kojic because I, I, I'm, I'm always intrigued to find out how we, people who weren't born UCC or raised in the UCC mm. church, find our way in the denomination. I was raised uh, in the AME church, African Methodist Episcopal. Oh, yes. So yeah, just fifth generation in my home church. And so when you say Kojic, I'm like, oh, oh, we gotta, <laughs> you know, <laughs> definitely got to find out. But Southside Chicago, did you know the ministry? Like, was there like a calling or did you know that growing up that you would be serving in some form of ministry? You know, I would say, um, I have to give you a quick backstory and you'll have to be conscious of time because, you know, preachers, we will just, you know, we'll be here three hours later. <laughs> um, so I say that I'm the son of Brenda Lee Goodwin and Danny Fitzgerald Harris because my mother and father, um, I was birthed when they were 16 and 17. Um, my father died three months after I was born. 
And during his hospitalization from acute leukemia, he had a conversion experience with a Church of God in Christ minister. And so sort of on his deathbed, my father asked my my grandmother, please give my son God. Mm. And I found a journal from my grandmother during that time over 40 plus years ago. Um, And in it, she has the line, my son asked me to give his child God. And so my grandmother, who wasn't um, going to church at the time, but grew up in the Church of God in Christ, um, but had went to Chicago and she found some freedom. My grandmother completely re-engaged in the church at that moment in her life. And that meant I fully engaged in the church. And my grandmother was going to be honoring of my father's wishes and she was going to give me God. <laughs> so wow. um, pretty much I can't remember many memories as a child that weren't connected to the church. Um, and the stories I hear is that as a four and five year old, I often had to be quieted in church because whenever the preacher got up, I got up too. Yes. And I tried to preach my own sermon from my little pew. <laughs> and they had to say, okay, you are not the pastor. I love that. Um, so my memories of childhood, I mean, most of my little pictures are I would go play dress up by putting on my church attire and sitting in the living room as if I was getting ready to go to church or to preach. And so that's kind of been a part of my story. Um, mm. I have the, the receipts of the pictures. Um, I have the notes from the 11 year old Darrell writing out yes. very theologically attuned sermons. <laughs> um, and at this, this year, I think I will have been preaching for 27 years. So wow. it was it. Grandma did what she was asked to do. <laughs> this is this is my 20th year. Next next month is my 20th year since I was Come licensed in the AME church. I was 19. And it's crazy that. Yeah. Wow. So your father passed. Give my child God. That is beautiful. Give my son God. That mm. that is powerful. And so how do you identify? uh um as far as orientation, um, sexual orientation, you identify oh, as queer um, or I, the the phrase that I think I, the term that is most indicative of me is queer. Um, I probably have lived a very bi identity, but now that I'm married to my husband and don't plan to get married again, <laughs> I think that what makes most sense to me now is queer, and that sort of speaks to my current reality. That, that's beautiful. That That's how I identify as, as well. And so how did you, um, my experience of Church of God in Christ is not the same as the experience I've had as UCC. So oh, how, no. <laughs> how did you reconcile that figuring out, you know, that queerness with your Christianity or with your spirituality? It's mm, a great question. I can actually distill it into something um, pretty clear. So I was ordained when I was in still in college because um, I was in uh, a youth pastor at a Church of God in Christ. And my pastor um, at, in, in Boston, where I was going to college, said, look, I travel a lot. I do a lot of things. I need somebody to essentially lead church and do communion and everything while I'm gone. Right. So we should get you ordained. So I went through the whole process and was ordained. And then um, did a pastoral internship at an AME church. Oh, wow. Uh, in Cambridge, St. Paul's AME Church in Cambridge for two years with the Reverend Dr. Leroy Adels, uh, where I sort wow. of learned 
Big Ten Church. And so yeah. when I graduated from college and went to graduate school, I was ordained. And one of my faculty members simply said to me, Darrell, we need a church. And I said, oh, girl, we do. Who we, who, who we calling? <laughs> and she said, well, we all saw an article from your university that you were an ordained minister and you were preaching and you're Reverend Goodman. So we're wondering if you'll do it. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. Let's find somebody else. She came around again. Darrell, the faculty, staff, students, we need a church. Wow. We create one. Um, and at the time, I wouldn't have said, I think I had probably come to the awareness that I found that I had a same sex attraction, but it wasn't something that I thought I would act on or right. particularly or be in a relationship with. But I was open, starting to be more open with even my girlfriend at the time, like, I actually find men attractive and I think that's okay. And that's a part of who I am. And this is where I, so I wasn't, I guess, as theologically struggling with that as much. So I listened to this faculty member, um, Dr. Bridget Kelly, and I started a ministry and it began to grow mm. in Vermont on the University of Vermont campus. And it was faculty, staff, and students. And every week wow. we were adding more and more chairs. And then the same sex couple came to me and asked if they could have lunch. And they said, brother, we have not been in a church in almost 12 years. But for some odd reason, we find ourselves coming to your church every week. Wow. Are you allowing us to be here because you believe theologically that God will change us? Or are you having us to be here because you actually believe that God accepts us as we are? Wow. And pastor, I have to tell you at that moment, I didn't know. What I knew is that I had a call by the community to pastor, very UCC-ish, um, and then <laughs> I was answering that call. But theologically, I couldn't make sense out of who God was sending. God right. was sending Black and white and former Catholics and Lutherans and same gender-loving people and non-binary folks, even then, 20 right. plus years ago. And I was like, what? only thing I know is that I'm supposed to be loving on these people. Um, and that became the reconciliation because I remember over a break of some kind um, praying and saying, God, I need you to give me a sign. You know, very signs and wonders church. Uh, <laughs> right? I said, God, I need a sign. And over that holiday break, I found an article called God is Doing a New Thing, the mm. Church of Homosexuality. Um, and the short version is it was an article of a pastor who was on trial in his denomination for performing a same-sex wedding. And essentially, this pastor was saying, I'm willing to be defrocked to be on the right side of history because God is doing a new thing, even yep. in relation to homosexuality. Yes, God. I got that on December 30th, and that first Sunday was coming up. That was going to be the first Sunday in January. And I went to that church preaching for me a reconciliation of the gospel. Like I, I asked God, I got an answer in a random article that I wouldn't, I didn't, you know, didn't know that pastor, didn't know that tradition. And I gave that couple an answer. Mm. I didn't want to lie to them. I wanted right. them to know, I believe that God wants you to be here exactly as you are. And then, you know, of course, when you start liberating other folks, then I was like, wait a minute, what about me? Yes. 
Um, and so I have to say, it came through my desire to be the best pastor I could be, which then allowed me to see theologically that God's people, all of them were welcome, which then in turn was a light to say that I was too. Yes. And people say, how did you come out? It was through the church. Like, you know, it's like, it wasn't ah. just some secret thing on the side or somebody whispering right, right, right. in my ear. It was literally through my love of God and God's people that I then had the invitation to liberation for myself. Oh my God. So when I've done this, you know, I'm a pastor, preach every Sunday, I have to pull it back all the time that I'm not up there for hours because I love preaching. But when I, when I said I would lead this podcast, one of the first things I said I wanted to do was make sure I let the guests talk and not mm. share too much of my story because, you know, I'll be here every week. But listening to you, I see so much of my story paralleling with your story mm. like even when you say your father was dying of leukemia i so i had leukemia when i was reconciling my own stuff and discovered ucc and that's kind of what you know helped me discover ucc but i was pastoring an ame church less than a mile from campus that my bishop bishop bastai murphy mckenzie who ordained me said there's an empty building you're young. I was 21. Mm. Go start a church. It's right by the campus. And say, you know, faculty, staff, students. I just called up seven friends who didn't go to church and say, hey, I need a trustee. I need stewards. I need, <laughs> need y'all to right. come and tithe. And we did a work. And the director of LGBT services was a member of my church and came to me and said, I have people who need church. I think you have a message for them can we host pride service here? And I said, I, I don't know. I could lose my ordination. You know, like there, there were all these things. And Bishop McKenzie was cool, but she there was still the denomination. There was still a book of discipline. Right. Like there were still these things. And I, she said, well, just, you know, talk to the students. And I listened to the students. And there was one who told a story of going to church after getting beat up by his same gender partner. And the church con condemned him. When he went to church to pray and he went home and, and attempted to take his life. And I remember God saying, will people leave your church renewed to live life or leave mm. your church and thinking they have no life to live or not want to live? And that was my deciding factor. Yep. So if, mm. if I get in trouble, oh, well, and right. then the next year I was dealing with my own sexuality, mm. but I felt like trying to be a good pastor, trying to minister, trying to do those things is what helped me to address my own theology right. and reconcile that first. And then that made it easier for me to say, mm, I might be gay. So uh, yeah, just listening to you, the hairs that I barely have on my head. <laughs> Uh, I have enough hair for both of us. Right. If you saw it down, I'm trying to be Jesus over here with the long. They're standing up because I'm like, I'm like, oh, so how did you then discover UCC? Um, hmm. So the you know the in between was I rec I reconciled with myself partly because there was a very Christian uh, man who approached me and. It was like not, I had the theological understanding to then welcome this couple. 
But then he came and he was, um, you know, beautiful and interested. And I was like, no, no, no. And then he was the cool, I often describe him as the first gay Christian I met, which isn't, you know, of course I had met others, but right, right. But because everything about him, I mean, when we drove to his house for dinner for the first time, gospel music was playing. You know, I searched through his books when he was downstairs cooking and everyone was a concordance <laughs> and a Bible right. study. And my brain was like, okay, God, I know I said I would, I would say yes to what people, but, but where, who is he? Like, how is this possible? So that was really the beginning of kind of my knowing, oh gosh, I don't think I'm going to be able to go back to the church of God in Christ. <laughs> um, and we started dating and it was public and my friends were like, okay, wow. All right. And I jokingly say, I never came out because when people would say, oh, did you break up with your girlfriend? And I would say, yeah, we broke up because she just couldn't fully accept me. And they would say, what do you mean? And I would say, oh, I'm dating him now. And they would go, oh, Oh, you know, and I never talked about it. I never gave people a, a moment. And years later, friends would say, you know, Darrell, it was the most fascinating thing because the way you said it, it was so clearly you that right. we didn't feel that there was like, so I didn't do the dramatic, I need to talk to you all and I have to share something. It, it was just like, oh yeah, we broke up, now I'm dating him. And I needed it to be that way because for me, that's how my life was. It was, this is a continuation. I haven't changed who I am. Now I've expanded my love quotient. Um, and I just, I really appreciated the affirmation. So how does that get me to the UCC? So I kind of knew, oh, now I didn't start a church, which is, whew, I'm out of the fellowship. I'm now dating the worship leader, Jesus. <laughs> you know? and then how do I go back to my home church? Um, and I left Vermont and moved to Nebraska and did. And I joined the Bishop's Church and at the Church of God in Christ. And the bishop asked me three questions. He says, young man, or two questions. He says, young man, I got two questions. Are you, do you have any children? I said, no, sir. He said, are you married? I said, no, sir. And his third statement was, well, then I have nothing else to ask. And somehow there was a knowing when he said, I have nothing else to ask. Don't I thought, ask, oh, no. <laughs> Yep. So then after my partner at the in that city was the worship leader of that church and I was the youth minister, um, I was like, this is intriguing, but I don't want to get caught. Right. Like, it seemed weird to me because, you know, mem members would say like, oh, Reverend Goodwin, we saw you and Brother Austin. Y'all were at the movies this weekend. And I'm sitting there thinking, were we holding hands? Were we not holding hands? And I had to reconcile the church I created with the church I was now attending. Mm -hmm. Left that church and moved to Seattle. And tried to join the Church of God in Christ again because I kind of wondered, did that thing I do in Vermont? Like, was that did but I missed my home church? Um, couldn't work. At every church I went to, it just, I was, I had an unrest or something completely outrageous happened. Like, you know, the one to a church and the pastor threw a sheet on my head to, uh, to give an example of his sermon. And it was like, and God is a glory cloud and threw a full sheet on my head and snatched it off. And I was sitting in this church like, I, I can't do stuff like this. Right. <laughs> I was almost extreme. Right. So then I started a church. Similarly, that couple from Vermont who said, we believe you should start a church. They moved to Seattle. Wow. And then some of the other members of my church in Vermont also moved to Seattle. And each of them said, when are we going to start going to church? And I said, well, I, I don't, I don't even have a pastor. And they're like, because you are the pastor. 
So I started my church. I was in a pastoral leadership program at Seattle U talk because of my church. It was a program they had. You get a certificate in pastoral leadership, renew and enhance your leadership ability as a pastor. And in the nine months, there was a woman, Reverend Kathy Ude, and every friggin' month, she said, you sound like a UCC pastor. <laughs> and I don't even know what that is. And right. she's like, it's the United Church of Christ. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And she's like, you sound like UCC pastor. And I said, but I'm not. I was Kojic. Now I'm non-denominational. I, I don't know what you're talking about. The sixth month, Kathy said, okay, can you humor me? I want to invite the, the conference minister to come and talk to you. He will meet you at your office. Reverend Mike Denton. And then from there, you can make a decision on if I'm crazy or not. These are her words. <laughs> Mike Denton came to my office and I believe the conversation might have lasted in my mind. It felt like forever, but it was probably an hour. And I remember crying in the middle of it because when he told me about the United Church of Christ, I instantly knew I didn't even know something like this existed. So when people say, you know, people keep where the best kept secret, it really literally was. It is. I stood across the street in the city of Chicago most of my teenage life. The bus stop was across the street from Trinity. United That's Church the crazy Christ. part. When you say you're in Chicago and I'm thinking Trinity, it, yeah. Never had heard of it. I mean, and actually saw it, right. but I had no idea what Trinity United what Church of Christ was. I mean, I would have had no concept. So when he said it, I mean, he started talking to me, no matter who you are, where you are, and life's journey you are, I was like, what? And then I looked at the tenets of my non-denominational church that I had written, and they literally, in many respects, mimicked the statement of faith in the UCC. And I thought, okay. Yes, God. So that was that. It was Reverend Kathy Yu who has passed away, but she was the every freaking month, I say, you sound like a UCC pastor. You sound like a UCC pastor. And she wouldn't do it privately. It would be in the middle of a small group. She would raise her hand. <laughs> Reverend Goodwin, you sound like a UCC pastor. To the point that some of my other classmates start saying, I mean, he kind of does. And, you know, so then it was like, but that's how I found the UCC because a UCC pastor did not keep her mouth closed about this best kept secret. I love that. That that's basically when I came to terms with my sexuality, I, I was like, I can't be a pastor. Like I'm going to have to either be closeted forever or I'm just going to have to strike out on my own. And then when I discovered the UCC and my great grandmother belonged to a congregational church in Louisville, like the prestigious black congregational church. And I always thought that was just congregational. I didn't, I didn't know the whole UCC, you know, merging and, 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 and all of that. So then it just made perfect sense when I met a pastor and they said, have you ever looked at the UCC church? And I was like, no. And I Googled it and said, this is, <laughs> this is who I have to, this is where I have to go. This is, this is what I have to do. Um, so you are what your title, um, you, you said it earlier. Yeah, you said it earlier, but I want to ask you to say it because I always mess it up. Executive Conference Minister. Executive Conference Minister in? The Southern New England Conference of the United Church of Christ. So I've been to New England many times in my life, and there are Black people in <laughs> New England, but there are not a lot. Right. And so when, when I saw you... Um, go into move into that role. I got excited. Mm. Um, I got really excited. 
And so how have you, we talk about reconciling your faith with um, your queerness. How do you reconcile your blackness and that Kojic, I mean, even though you're not Kojic, you don't attend the Kojic church anymore. There's still those roots that are just mm. a part of you. So how did you bring that to your role with all of these really white spaces? <laughs> <laughs> so that's beautifully and very uh, diplomatically said. So, <laughs> I'll offer this. When I was going through my privilege of call process in the United Church of Christ, one of the people on my panel, and I, and I will be forever indebted to this woman, she asked me a very simple question. She said, Darrell, can you please explain to us how you will not allow the United Church of Christ to rob you of your spiritual legacy. Woo! Now, at the moment, I thought it was sort of a trick question because I was like, oh, Lord, these people don't want to ordain me in this thing. Like, why she's asking? You know, and I said, I don't, I don't even remember what I said, but let's, you know, in my better self, let me right, pretend right. like I remember. What I think I sort of said. <laughs> pretty right now. Um, is, I think it's so much a part of me that I'm not sure it can be removed. Like, I, I don't think I know myself and God without my spiritual legacy. Um, something of them, you know, maybe less articulate or more, but that basically it was sort of like a, I don't think that can happen. And then I remember thanking her though, because I felt like the question would be important. Like yes. I remember saying to her, this is my answer now, but I think I'm, that question is supposed to be important. I can see the woman's face. I don't remember exactly her name, but when I tell you that the lady haunts me, because whenever I feel that I'm being invited to compromise my spiritual mm. legacy, I hear her question, Darrell, how will you not let us rob you of it? And at that moment, she was the representation of the United Church of Christ. Like I, I'm going through my privilege of call process, but she's the in it the Committee on Ministry, and she's saying to me, how will you stop this from happening? And so one of the things I, I agreed to do is to be my authentic self. So yes, the Southern New England Conference people, they know when I show up at your church, you are going to get, and we have to see what the possibility of what God might do. Like they get that that's going to be there. Pastors know if you tell me, hey, something's happening in my life, I'm not going to say, well, thoughts and prayers for you. And I'm just going to keep holding you up. I'm going to say, can I pray with you right now? They know that I'm going to say that I see the manifestation of the spirit moving in X, Y, Z. One of our board chairs said to me in my first year, I think you might be the most evangelical conference minister New England has ever had. <laughs> you know, and in some respects, I believe that to be true. Um, the person who was in charge of the search committee said, I, you know, Darrell, I, I would say prior to your arrival, we may have asked, where was Jesus in the job description? Post your tenure, it would be improbable that it couldn't be. And I think that's about me saying, the fact that I do believe that the spirit of the Lord does speak to you in signs mm -hmm. and wonders and audibly and available. The fact that I do believe that I can sit in a room in a church and the spirit would suggest that I should go lay hands and pray with someone and I will do it. The yes. fact that my staff knows that I will speak a word of life into their life in the middle of a situation, in the middle of dealing with the technical of what we have to do. They were they knew they were signing up for all of that on somehow in some way, you know, like they were gonna get all of that. 
And yeah. I think the tension for me in the church is that God, the spirit, the people are hungry for reconciliation of intellectual wondering. Yes, God. And the spirit of the living God. And I think that sometimes in the black tradition, in the church of God in Christ, I was often required to leave my intellect at the door. You know, you walked in and somehow the spirit was so moving that I couldn't think. I mean, it was sort of like the pastor or whoever's in charge. They are the only embodiment of God. And so therefore you don't question, you don't wonder, does this even make sense? You don't, you just get there and the spirit comes and it's it. And then, and there's some gaps there. People right. are hurt there. People are misused and mistreated in that. It doesn't make any sense. And then I found the UCC and it was like, we will give you all of the theological underpinnings of why justice and all of this makes sense, but it will be absent of a move of the spirit. And I was like, okay. Right. Something ain't right. And so for me, I, I my prayer of wisdom is make them God one. Like the, mm. the UCC, may they all be one. For me, mm -hmm. it is, I need that to be one in me. I need to be able to think strategically, right, about how to move forward a conference of 600 churches and 1,400 authorized ministers, 110,000 people and 54 staff. That requires the intellectual training I've had in right. my profession, in my study, and all of that. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much intellectual wondering and strategic planning I have, if in the midst of the most struggling moment for my pastors and my churches, I cannot get on my face and pray. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, yeah. I, I see to me the tension we have is the reconciliation of that. I don't become less intellectual because I know that in the deepest moment of my experience, the only thing I know how to do is say, help me, God. Yes, in God. the name of Jesus, <laughs> like you know, like there is a stronghold that needs to be broken. I'm going to go there. Absolutely. It's inextricable for me. If I'm pressed against the wall, be careful, UCC. I might say, I plead the blood of Jesus. Like it may come out. Yes, God. Now I may theologically have understandings about what that now means, and like you know, Jesus was an enemy of the state and all of that. I, I yeah, can right, do right. that too. But I'm telling you, Derek, when I am most pressed, yes, God there will be an unknown tongue that will roll up. You know? yes, so I think, like, I think you have to be able to allow them both. And what I, and I'll, I'll end with my sneaker preach with this. I've come in contact with more UCC clergy who have told me that their hunger is to know that Jesus. Yes, God. Then UCC clergy who have been like, I just, I just don't understand that. And I'm not sure why. I mean, that just doesn't resonate <laughs> with me. It's people who are struggling to minister mm -hmm. because they want a God that is far more tangible than the people are desirous of. So they're like, I don't know how to, because I don't want to overwhelm my people. I don't want to write. Right, 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 right. But they're like this. Like, ah, oh, something is welling up in me and I just don't know how to do it. And I'm telling my pastors, I, I was a keynote speaker at an innovation conference today where I said, come out. Yes. Come out as Christian. Come out as people who hear the voice of God. Come out as the people who felt like you had a move of the spirit to go do something before yeah. you did it. And you knew that it had come from a place that wasn't you. Like that, come out. And either people are going to dismiss it or they're going to say, yes, 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 yes. Oh my, my favorite God. story as conference minister is last year, I preached at a church where the pastor had messaged me and told me, you know, Reverend Goodman, there's a couple of things that you should know. The mm. people at our church are not going to be clapping and dancing in the aisles. I was like, well, wow, I didn't think that I thought they would, you know. So I go to preach at this church and I preach my sermon and the 
Juilliard trained musician breaks from the program and just starts playing this little light of mine. Yes, God. And then the people literally clapped and danced in the aisles. And they were just, when it was over, the pastor is bursting out in tears. The, the musician ran over to apologize. She's like, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I did that. I just started that playing that. And I know that wasn't a part of the liturgy. And then one of the elders, the, she's 90. She came up to me and it was, you know, could have been eh, a little asterisk on this, what I'm about to say. She said, okay. she came up to the chancel and she says, Reverend Goodwin, can I touch you? Mm -hmm. And I said, okay. <laughs> and she grabbed my face. Mm -hmm. And she says, I'm 90. And I've waited my whole life to experience the church that you're talking about. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. To me, the declaration that this will not be a church that claps and dances in the aisle is a prophetic limitation on what God will do. Exactly. The openness is the Juilliard trained musician who will lose herself and begin to play a song that releases the spirit enough that people will dance in the aisles that my 90 year old grandmother of another reality. Yes, God. Comes to me and her white hands touch my black face and she mm. say, 90 years I've waited for the church that you're talking about. Yes, to me, sir. that's that is the next phase of the United Church of Christ. Like, Yes, that people might be liberated from their education. They might be liberated from 90 years of bondage, that they might be liberated from a God who only wants you there for 45 minutes and then doesn't care about you the rest of the week. Exactly. Like uh, sneak a preach. No. So again, my little hairs are standing up again because um, I, I was called to a church by a search committee that was all white, that was 50, 60 years old. And I was halfway in the closet out to a few friends and you know had a two in front of my age at that time so I was like I'm young I'm gay I'm black like <laughs> this is this is me one of the pastors who retired from there his son had applied to to pastor the church and I was like mm. oh well there's no way they're gonna call my <laughs> black so-and-so here and then when i got the call i was like are you are you serious are you this was the first white church i even preached at. this is like where i landed after leaving the ame church i said i have to have to find mm -hmm. somewhere and i struggled like that whole like being my authentic self like it wasn't the gay thing i was struggling with it was the black thing it yeah. was the like and, and, and part of that reconciling came when I preached a sermon about being my relationship with God saved my life. Mm. Like I was suicidal, but those songs and those scriptures and the prayers that people put in me when I was at my lowest, like the Holy Spirit comforted and held and like, and, and I, I mean, I was like, there were months, there were years of my life. I don't, I was just on autopilot and that, so you talk about the blood of Jesus, the grace of God, like the peace that surpasses all understanding. It was all of that stuff. And so when I say, when I come to church, I don't come because it's Sunday at 11 o'clock and we go to church. Like I come because this is what got me through. And there are members in my church who thank me for that gift when they're, 
young son dies by suicide or when or when this happens or grandson like this these very things of me saying religion has to be practical it has to be tangible it has to for me it has to be something all right god come on i need like i I need the oh i need the like you know it, it has to be that that i can turn to that intellectual and i think there's something that the black church can learn from the white church but i think there's something that the white church can learn from the black church just that just and and that's one of the things we always talk about in my church now we're pretty we're pretty um, diverse as as it relates to to race, but just hearing you talk, it's it's amazing how people a few years ago at my church were very like this, mm-hmm. but now it's like they come in like this, like like te- like people will tell the congregation this, pray for this because this is what's going on, and that's so so different than what it used to be, and so ah. That was boy. I'm telling you, I'm ready to shout right now. Let me let me offer this to Rep. Pastor. I, I think yeah. the so you, me, a number of folks. I think we're called our spiritual call. One of the calls on our lives is to be translators. Mm. Some of this is about bringing an Afrocentric worship experience into traditionally white spaces, because there's a d- dual liberation. I don't have to pretend that I'm not who I am and I still get to be Reverend Darrell Goodwin. And in the tradition in which I was raised in, there would have been a requirement of lying. Like I have to say, mm. so like, right. So, but there's a dual translation. What the UCC and seminary training gave me is it sort of fleshed out some of the things that I grew up hearing theologically that now I understand in a different way. So I can explain it differently over here. Exactly. Translated. But more recently, what I've been so blessed by is that God has also been showing me that the translation actually works both ways. Yes, Lord. So last week when I was at Amherst, or uh, maybe a month ago, I was at Amherst College and speaking to a group of students about the intersectionality of sexuality and race and religion. And there was a table of people, students of color, who didn't participate in the conversation directly. I mean, mm-hmm. but I kind of knew they were listening. And when my talk was over, the first questions came from them. And they wanted to understand things like, how do you know when somebody's faking the spirit? Because we believe you got the spirit. You know, it was a fascinating conversation. But when I went over there with them, I began to talk to them about things like, well, you know, we grew up telling you that the spirit of the Lord would fall upon you and fill you. But what would it look like if you believe that because from the foundation of the world, including from your birth, the Holy Spirit was already within you. And what we do at church is awaken it in you. So you become conscious of the move of the spirit in you and then you operate in the gifts of the spirit. So it's not that the spirit is somehow outside of you, but the spirit is in you. And Mm. the whole point of church is to help you wake up to it. The Mm. young boy, the young man's eyes went Yes. That's the now translation work. So I'm not going to tell you, let's tarry so for the Holy Ghost so you can get it. What I'm going to say now is let's tarry for your awakening. That's translatable in the UCC and in the tradition that I'm in, but Absolutely. it's different from both. Absolutely. Because I still have my colleagues in the Kojic church like tarrying because you got to get the Holy Ghost because you're so unclean that the spirit of God cannot come in you until you're cleaned up enough to then be worthy. And over here, these people think the spirit of God is some mist 
that somehow only shows up on Pentecost. And so I have to translate. But I think you, all of us, I think it's mm. about not saying I'm rooted and grounded in a tradition that I know is inapplicable here. Absolutely. It's actually saying both things have become inapplicable to me unless I translate them and use language that there's a generation of people waiting to hear. That yeah. young man found his life when I said, the spirit of God is already in you. Absolutely. Just like over here, I need to tell Sally Mae, the spirit of God is already in you. And it's not just in a book. Yes. But it can show up at the hospital with you. It can show up when you're having trouble on your job. Yes. I mean, because she never knew that. Yep. It was just like the spirit was just in the text. And like I said, it came out on May 31st because it's the day of Pentecost. Like, you know, it's just, but I want to just, I want to say that for people to hear it. Absolutely. Translation is the next is the UCC Kojic AME 3.0. It's Absolutely. that we will have an amalgamation of these traditions and find a new thing that is translatable to all of people. And I think we're we're at the beginning of it, but I think that's where we will go. I, I don't think denominationalism will last, but the tenets of what people got from those things, they will. Absolutely. I, and I think that's that's the growth of the church and when i say growth i don't just mean like numbers in pew right. i mean like that 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 connectivity i wrote a paper in seminary like because you know we know mainline denominations are shrinking for the last 40 years that's like you know that everybody quotes that um but i thought what i said was the future is when everyone at the church does not have the same socioeconomic background they don't live in the same neighborhood they don't have the same education level they don't uh fill in the same bubbles for race or gender or class like it's literally it represents the broader community and we find connection because of god like there is god in in all of us um so just a couple questions left well, this i tell you what we could go all day um one is rain me in. I got you. <laughs> Two questions left. The one is we know that the LGBT community right now is under attack. Mm -hmm. uh, politically, uh, people are using religion a lot and protecting the children um, from from queerness and from drag queens and all these type of things. What do what what do we do? What is your advice for those of us who are? ministering for those of us who are attending churches for those of us who are christian and we see all of this happening and we want to do something what do we do what what, what is your advice come out of the mm -hmm. four walls i think that i was at the conference i was at earlier when i first came to to connecticut to jobs i mean to house search i remember being in west hartford which is a very lgbt friendly place and in the middle of the center of town center where the UCC church is the giant church in the center of town, across the street from that, a guy was holding a gigantic sign, almost double the size of his body that compelled that people were going to hell. What struck me was that he was a lone person there. There was no mm -hmm. counter narrative. Now, I'm going to tell on myself, because if my husband watches this, which he will, he's going to correct me. I did indeed 
Reverend Derek, pull my car over in the middle of traffic. Do it. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And offered a rhema word. And my husband was like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, you want to get arrested on your first visit to Connecticut? Absolutely. We have to come out of where we are. I mean, we want to have a think tank to talk about how to respond to the legislative action. No, get out there in the middle of the street. I want to find us at Prides where the person is spewing hate that we will begin as the UCC folks to surround them and sing songs of Zion that might quiet them so much so that they have to leave. Like these are the places where we are just probably playing the game that we will lose. That guy is not going to be moved because I read the best anti-racist or the most affirming LGBT text. And I'm able to come back and be like, well, Bell Hook suggests on page 35 of her text that in transgressing in, in education, it means this. No, he needs me to come and say, I don't know the God that you serve, but the God I serve says that all these people are created in that God's image. So we have a problem because you are speaking about a false God that cannot stand. And I have witnessed my my queer siblings who don't even go to church go, yes, amen, preach, preacher, because I stood in the face of trouble Yes, God. and I didn't hide. So for me, that's the answer. We have to come out vocally, boldly, and transparent and then stop attacking each other. Yes. The thing I hate, and I do H-A-T-E, hate about progressive church, we will kill you over the color of a carpet. We will kill you because you didn't put, you know, you have a slash between he, him, and I have, you know, parentheses. And it's like, well, actually, Derek, you should know that actually you shouldn't be putting that. It shouldn't be that. I mean, we will tear this whole podcast apart because of something silly, Words. but they will bind over things that they cannot actually reconcile with each other to hate. Right. People who don't even believe in women preachers will put up a woman, a woman to preach if she's preaching about hate. <laughs> you yep. know what I'm Folk who are racist and cannot stand black people in Texas and Florida will have black preachers up in their pulpit because they're preaching anti-LGBT. And then we'll be like, well, theologically, because, you know, you didn't actually use the right language. Then I don't really know, Derek, if I can have you at my church. And I'm thinking urgency. Yeah. People are dying. Yep. Get over yourself, get over your limitations, and go and save souls. And I'm not talking about in a theological sense. I'm saying that baby who's going to kill himself or herself or themselves. Right. Because the only person they ever hear talk about God is the fool who's holding the sign in the street. While we're sitting at our church having another book series about how to understand gay people better. Ah, so so this this is completely parenthetical what i'm telling you right now i don't even know if it's going, if, if it's going to be on the pod but a couple days ago i was in my office reading and i got mad and then started journaling and i filled up a page and i called it the million christian march and what i said is the only narrative that we're hearing from christians right now that's consistent across board in very real tangible language is from those that one sect of Christianity that is anti-gay, that is anti-abortion, uh, that is, you know, that that's what you see. That's that's the narrative that you hear all the time. I meet people all the time on social media. Oh, I never knew there was a church like yours. I wish there was a church like yours in my neighborhood. And I go to the website and there's one two or three miles away. Like you said, the best kept secret. I said, what if 
what if progressive Christians who said we are Christian, doesn't matter what church you go to, doesn't matter what denomination, but we're here with our voice saying this is wrong. This is not the God we serve. The God we serve is loving and kind and this, you know, all those things, taking back the narrative and giving that voice. And it doesn't have to be in D.C. We can do that in our communities, like literally what, what you were saying is what I wrote. It's like we have to get out and counter that narrative. Like when people find out I'm a gay Christian pastor, there are people who are like, how does that work? And I'm like, I know a hundred of them, right? <laughs> like right now that are out, that are married, that are, you know, open, that are raising kids. But because that intellectualism sometimes and because of the good manners and good behavior of progressives, it it's not, it's it's not out there in in that way and thank and you for you that. Know, if, and if it doesn't you know one of the first policy changes i made as the conference minister of our employee handbook was about how we encourage you to get arrested <laughs> our hr department was like okay well let's figure out how to word that i'm work like that? i want you to get arrested like the conference will pay for it. it's like in our handbook derek let me just say this if we could get a hundred pastors, yep. I don't care if we get ten. I want to go do a die-in in Texas at the governor's office. Preach. I want to do it at Ron DeSantis' offices. We're literally in my collar and in my all regalia. They were just lay there. So the police have to drag me out. Forget just laying there, put handcuffs on my wrist to that door and say, as pastors, we will show up here every day. And once you arrest us, ten more will come tomorrow. You will not be able to functionally do the business of Texas and Florida because preachers will be in here every day laying out until you arrest too many of us and we will do it in the name of Jesus and liberation. That to me is more than are we going to write another resolution to say a general synod decrying the violence against LGBT people and Lord forgive me. Because I love the UCC and I want to write a resolution too. But give me a resolution about funding to have 10 pastors a day who are willing to get arrested to you do some sort of thing like the bus riots in Montgomery. Like you, the, the city government can't work because these pastors from all over the country are coming wreaking havoc in Florida and Texas getting arrested. Give me that. And, and that's that's why I got mad and wrote because I'm reading this book on ACT UP New York. Mm -hmm. She was the uh, AIDS <laughs> group that was pushing back against the federal government, against the church, that their their actions were literally killing people. These are people that many of them were dying of AIDS and watching their friends die of AIDS. And because they were gay or intravenous drug users, no one was paying them any attention. And they acted up in Diane's in church and took over the FDA, like doing all these things to literally bring attention to the fact that this is an issue. And, and the narrative right now is so crazy to me that we are spending more time, politicians are spending more time banning books because of one paragraph or one line and uh, policing drag culture and not doing anything about uh, the drug issues, not doing anything about uh, violence, not doing anything about the the gun culture in our country, and yeah, I I'm down with that. If I'm I'm down to get arrested and to bring attention, um, attention to that because it is it's it's ridiculous. Ooh, all right. 
Can we get an amen? See, I'm quiet over here, so I know. If we went over, it's on you. No, no, it's, <laughs> me, it's me, it's me. Last question. So I'm asking everyone who's a guest on the pod. So before you were Reverend Darrell Goodwin, before you had the title uh, that you that you have now, what advice would you give to 17-year-old Darrell? So, you know, high school senior, about to go off to college. What's the advice that you would give to to that young man? I don't know why. The, the thing that came to me most saliently was fear not. Mm. God will never leave you. My God. And I think at 17, if I knew that there was literally nothing that could separate me from the love of God, it would have orchestrated so many different things from that moment. Not a big treatise, just simply fear not. God will never leave you. Mm. I mean, I think if I just knew that, inalienably knew it, like couldn't be altered, couldn't be changed, mm. God, I would have been so much more bolder and freer and like mm. would have changed so many things in that period of even the years after that. Um, but I just didn't know. I mean, I just, I, I didn't know. I thought, oof, God has, God is Santa Claus and his writing yep. list and checking it twice. And if somebody had just gave me another image, and I hate to say it, but I just really did not have another image of God. Mm. Other than and so I think, gosh, if I just, if I could have just known. <laughs> if I knew the God I know now, then this world would be in trouble. Like, I mean... <laughs> We're, I'm causing some good trouble now, but I think I would have I would have been doing some good trouble earlier uh, because I would have known that I could. Love that. That's one of the things I always, you know, when people in church will get to, oh, we can't do this and this is we don't have this and this and that. And, I, and what God sends me all the time is God is always in control. Like God is in this. There have been times where I said, "Up, oh, it ain't gonna work out. It is not gonna work out. My car died. I found that my car died this morning." And I'm, you know, going back to school and broke pastor, you know, all these things. And my first thing was to overreact and I can't afford a new car. And how am I going to do this? I'm going to do that. I'm like, you know what? God, God, God takes care of all these things. Like God just does. And I don't have to figure it out right now. I just, so I did, like you said, I just prayed and I, (laughs) like, you know, it's like, God's got it. God, God has got it. So I appreciate that, Rev. Yes, sir. Ah, uh, we went over it and it was my fault. But that's because I told you Reverend Goodwin is like Beyonce in my world. Like <laughs> this was good, brother. You got this is this is gonna be I'm looking forward to what 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 the spirit's about to do through the ONA Coalition podcast. Now we're yes. gonna cause some trouble. Ah, uh, I am. You got you gonna have people getting arrested. And they're gonna I'm say, good. "Well, my copper didn't put I'll that in our market. We'll have some funding <laughs> to fill you out. We and sure will. Thank you so much. You sure will. Thank you so much, Rev. We'll thank you, thank you, thank you. I will see you at Synod. Uh, super excited about that. And you take care, okay? I will. Thanks a lot, brother. Wow. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Let me tell you. That conversation I had with Reverend Goodwin. Bless my life. I text him a couple of days later, like, I'm still thinking about that. We had an amazing conversation. We had a meeting after the meeting, conversation after the conversation that was uh, just as encouraging, just as insightful. And so I want to leave you with this. Um, we call this the intersection because we're really looking at how our identities intersect in not only our work with the church, but I just our work in life. 
And it's been really interesting for me to grow up in the black church and to find myself in this amazing church and figuring out how to work within um, a system that is not innate, that is not inherent to me. And it has been truly, truly, truly a blessing to be in the United Church of Christ. But at the same time, it breaks my heart that, you know, five generations of my home church and my home denomination, I don't feel comfortable and wouldn't feel comfortable and wouldn't be able to do some of the things that I'm able to do here. And even as awesome as the church is, and even as progressive as the United Church of Christ, I found it to be, um, there are things that just don't always feel good or feel good for me as a queer person. Uh, don't always feel good to me as a person of color. Don't always feel good to me as a queer person of color. And so I said all that to say that in everything that we do, continue to listen to podcasts and conversations like this, continue to do the work and to read those books and to do all those things, but also show up, to show up for marginalized and vulnerable populations, show up and ask questions and sit back and listen to the voices of those who are within the communities that you are trying to serve. I hope that makes sense. And we're going to explore many, many more of these topics. The next conversation that we will have will be live and in person from the General Senate of the United Church of Christ taking place uh, May, nope, not May, <laughs> taking place June 29th through July 5th. And I will be there. Stop by the coalition table. If you come to the banquet, say hi. Um, yeah, thank you so much for your energy and for listening to this podcast. And please, we want this to be an organic tool that grows and challenges and encourages and inspires. So please, this is not a monologue. It is a dialogue. Hit me up at ONA at openandaffirming.org with your feedback and your questions and your suggestions. I would love to hear from you. Let's keep this conversation going. Take care. God bless. Love you. Peace.